Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. And I get a lot of support. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Say hello to producer and reporter Nikki Reitmeyer. Hello, Larry. Hi, Nikki. It uh, seems like every week on this show, you take me somewhere else. I'm taking you someplace else. This week, you're going to be a fly on the wall in my support group. Oh, that's really cool. Have you ever been to a support group? I cannot say I have before. I have this image in my mind that it's a bunch of chairs in a circle and everybody kind of introduces themselves the old, hi, my name's Nikki Reitmeyer and I have blankety blank right. and then you share your stories. Yeah, Is it like the movies? It's pretty accurate. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, but it, it, it's funny. I was kind of intimidated by it at first. Like I've been going to support group now uh, since... Near nearly a month after my diagnosis because I didn't know what else to do. Um, but I, I felt intimidated by it because I wasn't sure what to expect. I wasn't sure how I'd be. You know, I'm younger than yeah. probably most of the people there. Um, but I went to, I, I sought out ones that I, I thought I could relate to. So like there's a newly diagnosed support group. There's professionals with Parkinson's support group. So I joined, uh, there's a YOPD support group online. So I've joined all these different support groups that fit me in different ways mm. to just try them out. And I don't go to all of them all the time, but you know, there's certain months I'm like, oh, I need to go to that one this week. You know, it's, so it's nice to have options. Uh, and uh, the uh, Parkinson Society and Parkinson.ca and all those organizations, they do a great job of, of providing options for people. Right. Um, we are going to talk to a lot of people today. Okay. You're going to hear from a lot of people, some people you've met before. Cool. Uh, for instance, Tony Dawson. Right, yeah. So Tony was on the last episode. Uh, he was the one that uh, had depression, depression as yeah. the first symptom of Parkinson's. After support group one month, I sat down with Tony and we had a little chat. Uh, how, how important has support groups been to you? Oh, at the beginning, really important uh, because... I felt that this was something you should share, that it was something you should have a, a sense of community about, that there's other people that are going through similar stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm a great believer in that kind of thing. So I was not one of these people. I have, a, I have a, an acquaintance, not really a friend that I know, who has the disease and who just does nothing social. He just cut himself off from the whole sort of Parkinson's world. And I think that's a mistake. Um, so I came to the Parkinson Society of BC um, to their um, newly diagnosed support groups and found them to be really great. I really liked them. 
Yeah, we were also talking about how uh, if you're not familiar with the disease, you think of it as just the tremoring. Yes. And there, there's a lot of other symptoms that people are dealing with all right. the time. Right. Like, uh, who knew that And when you lost your sense of smell, that that was a sign that you probably had Parkinson's disease? You just thought, oh, I don't have much smell anymore. That's weird, but that doesn't, doesn't affect my life that much. Uh, your handwriting, that's another thing that starts happening. Your handwriting deteriorates, gets smaller, it gets hard to read, it's mine was bad enough to begin with. Um, so things like that, that you're not, you have no idea if you're not in the thick of it. You can tell Tony's an academic. Yeah. There's no beating around the bush. I mean, he's, he's like, he, this is the way it is. This is how I'm dealing with it. This is what I think of it. Like, yeah, he's, very clinical and black and white. Yeah. All right, so now let's head off to my monthly support group meeting. Are you ready? Okay, let's do it. It's about a 10-minute walk from the office here in downtown Vancouver on a good day. On a good day. On a, sometimes it's a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I walk straight down Howe Street towards Canada Place. I'm uh, walking to the Parkinson Society of British Columbia, where I have my monthly support group for newly diagnosed Parkinson's patients. I'd never noticed the building before I started coming to this group. It's nestled next to a currency exchange and several coffee houses near a big indoor mall. The meeting is in the boardroom on the sixth floor. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Feel free to squeeze across or you can go around. (laughs) Thank you. We all sit around a table, pour a glass of water or some coffee, and the meeting opens with what you said before, introductions and instructions. So typically how this works is that we go sort of around the circle and just touch base and see how everybody is doing. So I thought we could begin by um, going around and saying your name and how long you've been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and then... We'll sort of move in from there. So I'll go first. My mm-hmm. <coughs> Richard. 13 years since my initial diagnosis. I'm 50 years old now. My name is Lee. I'm uh, 50, uh, 67, and it's been oh, four, uh, four years and nine months since I've been uh, diagnosed. I'm Larry. Uh, I was diagnosed last August. Oh. I'm Linda. I was uh, diagnosed almost four years ago, and I'm 70. So, Larry, would this be a, a typical support group meeting? Well, uh, there's no typical support group meeting. Each, oh. each month, mostly, I see familiar faces, but there's new people that come and go. Uh, we talk about things that are new or issues that we're dealing with at the time. Um, sometimes the facilitators have a theme or a topic to explore. Sometimes there's a guest speaker. But it's kind of, it's really casual and flowy. Oh, okay. Like they sort of adapt to what meet what the group needs that week. Mainly we just share experiences and ask questions of each other. Medication is always a popular topic. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess that's would be interesting to know how other people are reacting to medication, right. how they're dealing with the stuff that you're taking. Yeah, what are you taking? How much are you taking? Right. How often are you taking it? What's it do for you? You know, in, in this particular meeting, Richard volunteered to share his current drug situation. Right now, actually when when my medication is actually really working well, I'm moving all over the place. So right now, this is my med- my medication not really working. Okay. Yeah. Are you on cinnamon? Yeah. And, and how, how, too. How much a day? I take uh, uh, 15 pills a day. 15? 100, 100 over 25, yeah. I thought I was bad at 10. Yeah. You'd think once you shared your medication details, it wouldn't come up again. 
But with Parkinson's, medications and dosages are always being recalibrated. So like here's AJ sharing his new regimen that he's trying. Was on one set of medications that worked okay on the physical aspects, but really played a game with my mind. And I'm now on uh, Cinemat, and it's uh, been a massive change in regards to uh, attitude, ability to, um, I guess, focus, reduce the tremors enough that I can at least hit a golf ball and then shake on down the fairway. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in the past two months, my medication has changed four times, Nikki. Wow. Yeah, so some the addition of several different pills for sleep and two increases of levodopa carbidopa. You know, and it's comforting to share these details and see how others are being treated for similar symptoms because you're like, this feels like a lot of medication. And then you talk to somebody else and you're like, oh, you, you, oh, I've got nothing. You know. Man, that must be really, I don't know, tricky to wrap your mind around the thought that you're always having to adjust your dosages and the medication that you're on. You know, you don't really get into a rhythm. No, as soon as you find that that fun place that the good place like he's there for a couple weeks and then maybe something goes awry and you're like oh Uh-oh. I better tell my neurologist about this maybe you know you, and you never know what it's going to affect it affects yeah. everybody differently so that's that's the excitement of Parkinson's oh man Nikki. Larry <laughs> uh, inevitably every meeting someone's phone alarm will go off <laughs> which is a reminder that right. it's time to take their pills and so like, when you take pills four to seven times a day, you have to set reminders or you forget. That is so in my, in my yeah. Outlook calendar, you can see, take a pill, take a pill, take a pill. Yeah, that's hard <laughs> to day. comprehend. Yeah. As the support group continued, AJ brought up stress. When I get into a stressful situation, my outward Parkinson's uh, symptoms are exacerbated. Mm-hmm. And yes. some of the times when there have been situations where uh, my wife has gotten quite upset and ready to uh, basically become physical. She says, why don't you get upset? And I said, I can't. I just cannot get upset. You know, um, I'll just sort of bounce around the room if I do. This is a little disgust trigger, but people with Parkinson's, when they are stressed, the, the symptoms are enhanced, increased. Mm. They're elevated. Do you have a tremor? Yes, I do. And it makes um, it worse? Yes. Yeah. Um, Any kind of excitement and stress can can really think, yeah. make it bad. I had um, a bad, bad time with tremors. and um, I couldn't watch hockey games, which drove me crazy because I'd get excited in the hockey game and pretty soon my arm's just going crazy. You know, it's no surprise that stress is a trigger of Parkinson's symptoms for people because I think a lot of people can relate to the fact that stress triggers problems in their own lives, whether or not they have Parkinson's. We keep hearing all the time about how bad stress is for us. Yeah, and it's it's funny. Like if I'm in a stressful situation, my tremors were enhanced tremendously, even wow. if I'm you know on peak medication. But these are the types of experiences that we share each week, you know, and sometimes it's mundane stuff like, you know, troubles dressing. I've never really thought of myself having the freezing moments, Mm. but there are some times when I have one arm in and the other arm is halfway and I, yeah, it's not going, it's not going. That's the worst. It happens to me all the time. And then you sort of jump around and that's pretty typical. Happens in week, but no pants. (laughs) You know, or, you know, we, we may talk about uh, the loss of sense of smell and how that's affecting our life. 
They say if you lose your sense of smell, then you don't have any appetite. But I, so I can't have, <laughs> I can't have lost right, it completely. <laughs> But you can also taste things. You don't taste things perhaps quite as, as precisely as you might have. Yeah. But you can taste things. Yeah, I find that my uh, I, I rely a lot more on texture than taste. Now, mm-hmm. just, I get some taste, but mostly it's textures. And, mm-hmm. I have a set of taste memories. Oh. So oh, I know yeah. what it's supposed to taste like. Mm-hmm. So with the texture, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. with the good steak or something mm. for me what actually happens is that that my level of my ability to take more spicy food actually went up so oh yeah. me too yeah so yeah I like spicier foods now yeah you like spicier foods yeah, yeah. spicier foods yeah you can tolerate them more yeah because yeah. you don't taste them <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. while we laugh and make jokes there are often serious times and serious discussions uh, that are addressed by the group this mm-hmm. week uh, we ended up debating the difference between acknowledging and accepting that you have Parkinson's. Oh. Yeah, or or as some people refer to it, making friends with your Parkinson's. Or if you've referred to it in the past as making a frenemy with your Parkinson's. <laughs> <laughs> That's my perspective. Accepting it is a really difficult thing to uh, acknowledge. Well, you use those two words and it seems to me they're, they're different and uh, it's important to acknowledge that you have Parkinson's. I don't know that it's important necessarily to say that to accept it. Mm. Accepting it can mean a sort of passivity. Um, accepting, I think, is an aspect. Uh, the way that I would probably put it is that um, I'm willing to talk to other people about it. Ah, mm. yes. Um, I'm, will, I'm willing to uh, accept assistance if I need to get my cuff buttons, uh, my button, mm-hmm. shirt cuffs buttoned. I'm not certain where I heard it, but I have PD, but PD does not have me. I have a little slightly different approach where rather than fight uh, PD, or for that matter, any problem, I kind of, I'm uh, uh, gentle but firm, and I make friends with it. Uh, in a way, but I, but I'm telling you, you it's okay. You stay around, but uh, um, but uh, you'll have to be over there, and, and you can't just run wild around the room, so to speak. And this exchange of ideas, sharing information, it, it's helpful for me. Uh, there are some times when you know no one has anything urgent to share, and we sit like in silence, breathing, being just sharing space. And then afterwards, sometimes a few of us will go next door and share a coffee or a beer. Lee Lordeaux often stays behind to chat with me. I was especially interested to talk to Lee this week about his approach in making friends with Parkinson's. Well, there's two things. One is that I've given it a name called Parky, and I see that Parky lives with me, and and uh, that's just how it is, you know? Some people have bad roommates or or difficult roommates, and I happen to have Parky, and we've we got to get along. Uh, and, um, yeah. How often do you laugh with Parky? Well, um, occasionally, occasionally. Mostly when I can share Parky, that is, I see someone else who has a tremor, and, for example, I'm in a restaurant, uh, say I was in a Chi- uh, Japanese restaurant, and I could tell that an elderly Chinese woman who had her family all around her, 
that she had Parkinson's. And so I just kind of gave her a look, and there was a little chuckle between us in the eyes, uh, and there you go, there's a moment of humor. My attitude has always been, uh, well, you know what, guess where we're all headed? You know, uh, some people have cancer, and some people have short breath, and, and this just happens to be uh, my companion, uh, as it turns out. And we're all going to, you know, the body, once you uh, begin hitting your 60s and 70s or 80s, uh, there's only one way the road goes. Uh, so if you're going to fight that, uh, good luck. Do you cry much about Parkinson's? No, I haven't cried. I, uh, that hasn't come to me. What has come to me is that there are well, many people, there is a moment of reality when it kind of really strikes at some time in your life and hopefully earlier on, and that leads to more acceptance. Support groups are great for some people. You happen to be in a big city that has lots of options, Larry. But what if you have Parkinson's and you know, you're know you not within walking distance of a support oh, group? Yeah. So I talked to Kelly Williams. She's a clinical resource nurse at the Movement Disorder Clinic in Winnipeg. She has to travel to connect with and support people with movement disorders. She winds her way through rural towns and northern communities, basically wherever she's needed. Our whole catchment is not just Winnipeg, right? It's all of Manitoba. It's northwestern uh, Ontario. It is eastern Saskatchewan and all of Nunavut. So it's a large area that we look after as a clinic. Um, So... Staying in Winnipeg doesn't make much sense, <laughs> you know? So when you go to visit one of these support groups who are in a more rural area, how often do you actually get out to see them? It's not as often as I think I'd like to do it, um, but it's as often as we can kind of do it. I mean, part of it's budget, right? Um, it's getting out there and such like that, as well as budgeting of time. I guess the other aspect of this, too, is that you know, we live in Canada. It snows a lot here. What, <laughs> yeah. what do you do in the winter time to be able to access those more rural communities? We do do via telehealth, which is kind of like Skype, but it's a bit more secure and a bit uh, easier to work with. Ah. Um, so we'll do telehealth type things and presentations via telehealth, or we will do um, consultations. So, for example, individuals who's living in none of it, it's a little difficult for them to get to us. So we'll do a telehealth. Um, appointment, um, and they can see a number of our uh, multidisciplinary team via telehealth. Well, thank goodness you're doing the work that you're doing. You know, before I chatted with you, Larry and I were, were talking, and he said, you know, I live in a big city center, and I have access to, you know, counselors and, and support, the stuff that I need, but I mm-hmm. couldn't imagine what it would be like to live in a rural area and be limited to those things. I imagine it's very difficult for people with Parkinson's in rural areas. It would be because there's a, it's a lot about mobility and accessibility, right? And, and our whole mandate within Health of Canada is accessibility uh, to for everybody. So we do the best we can by making it accessible through other means, such as telehealth or such as going out to visit individuals in rural areas um, and things like that. So we do the best we can that way to create the accessibility. But, yeah, it is more challenging. Um, if you're living more rural, to get the the support you need. There is a lot of different um, 
healthcare professionals that we do rely upon when they are rural, like, for example, the physiotherapists in the area. And they can always contact us for advice and suggestions um, if they're struggling to try and deal with an individual with Parkinson's. So, Because um, we, we do have to rely on sometimes um, other professionals that are in their particular areas. What would you recommend to someone who has recently been diagnosed with Parkinson's, who lives in a rural area? And, you know, maybe that person right now is thinking, do I have to move to a large city center? What should I do? What advice would you have for them? Well, you don't have to move. I mean, there's a lot that can be done in your area. First of all, seek out what is in your area. Seek out what is accessible to you right now. Uh, so is there, an, is there a support group in your area? If not, well, should we develop one? Because you can always contact Parkinson Canada and they're willing to help develop a support group within um, any area. So seek out support that way. Seek out a way to make sure that your life is accessible in the future. Do you have uh, access to exercise programs that are not necessarily Parkinson-specific, but anything that is there? A physiotherapist in the area. What do you have around you that is available? She's right, Nikki. Yeah. I mean, it does take a lot of support. I have friends, family, coworkers, my medical team, the neurologist, the physiotherapist, the GP, massage therapist, exercise oh, classes. Man. I have my podcast family. Wow. Uh, and, and I'm constantly growing that support. And, and, and that's truly what amazes me about Parkinson's, the community, mm. the variety of people you meet, uh, most with an open heart, a smile, a laugh, a positive attitude. You know, some are quiet and depressed and dare I say negative at times and maybe they're just realists uh, I, I think of Tony who we heard from at the beginning uh, and in the support group he said that during the group discussion he can't think of much good to come out of Parkinson's well, afterwards I sat down with him again and I challenged him to think of something positive to say about it I could say it's it's interesting. There's a way in which the, the, something positive I could say is it's an interesting disease. If I was a not a sufferer from the disease, and if I was a, a kind of researcher in medical field, this would be something that would would draw me, because there are so many different symptoms, there are so many different ways in which people react to having the disease, uh, and there's just such a set of mysteries around why say what's the sense of smell what's the what's that about uh so it seems to me something that's it's a really interesting disease to have got to know so parky if you want to call you that over in the corner i'll acknowledge you're an interesting guy just too much of you can be a little bit of a problem (laughs) (laughs) five years in is there anything you would have done different up to this point that's a really interesting question you know, one of the things I might have done was done more traveling <laughs> and just get out there and do more things because I'm a little bit loath to do them now. I'm a, I don't have quite as much energy as I had. Uh, well, I don't have, I have a lot less energy. When I was first diagnosed, I still had a fair bit of energy. The way the, uh, the guy, um, Richard. Richard, was talking about tonight, today, he, he's, he's able to sort of at times build up the energy. Uh, I've lost some of that and so I would say when you're still in the early stages do what you have to do do what you'd like to do do what you can that would be one one bit of advice that I would give people um, the other thing is I, I as I said in our group meeting the 
I think it's really important to acknowledge that you've got this disease, but I don't think it's important to to say to embrace it and say I love it, because I think that if you, if you people that speak that way, I, I distrust that kind of new agey kind of thing, uh, and I just think it's not true. I just think it's impossible to love this. What do you think is important for us to convey to the general public about Parkinson's? That um, that's a really good question. I think we need acknowledgement from them. They need to work a little bit to understand how prevalent it is. As society ages, it's getting more prevalent. In your particular case, you, you were diagnosed young, but I was diagnosed at 71. Um, and that's going to be more and more the case. So it's going to be in more touching on people's lives in various sorts of ways. So it seems to me really that people should educate themselves if they can especially if they find out they know somebody who has the disease or something. And try to try to learn that it's... somebody's walking down the street and shivering or shaking a little bit, that they might have Parkinson's. They might not be some kind of drug addict that's on his last legs, you know. Uh, so being open to the possibility of what the disease can do to people, I think. Each episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's, Larry talks to his wife, Rebecca. First of all, I think it's important to note that it is 5.31 in the morning. And and then at 5 o'clock in the morning, knowing that I was awake and that you were awake downstairs, that you wrote and said, hey, can we record for the podcast this morning? So is it fair to say that you could use a support group right, right. now? <laughs> I could use a podcast support group. <laughs> Have you thought any more about joining a support group for care partners? I have more recently. You and I haven't even talked about it. Um, I mean, I think the reality is that 99% of what we experience, especially you, is naked to the eye it's a very insular kind of quiet and it's difficult for people outside of the parkinson's community to understand we have these this wonderful support system and they so desperately want to help right and they're they're constantly offering and constantly lamenting that they're not closer because most of them are very far away and they want to be here and they want to help and actually being here and being in person feels like something that is the job of the Parkinson's community. Can I ask you what it is that you think that you might get from a Parkinson-specific care partner support group? I think just an understanding, a more detailed, nuanced, specific, intimate understanding of what we're experiencing and what your symptoms are like and the subtlety of them and how unaware most people could be of them, but how they affect our family on a daily basis. I also think there's just a level of camaraderie that you get from people who are experiencing something the same or similar to what you're experiencing. I also think that there's a level of humor (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's that can be missing from people who are just feeling so empathic and so such a desire to help, or just a desire, or feeling insecure because they don't know how to help. There's very little of that 
ramp up that has to happen in the community in the Parkinson's community as far as I can tell there's a really quick understanding of the language that's acceptable and you can go pretty far <laughs> like yeah, you can the, deep. the humor yeah the humor is and you can go you can talk about things quickly you can get more intimate and detailed in your experience quickly and then you can also go qu- really quickly to the humor as you know recent as six months ago we kind of had this conversation and you're like i'm not ready for a support group for care partners i don't even think i am a care partner what changed I don't, I don't know just my level of experience with it, I think. Maybe it was a worthiness thing, kind of like the folks who are, I would expect that the folks in that support group would be people who are daily and constantly caring for their spouse or partner or father or mother. And that's not the case with us. So I, so perhaps, yeah, perhaps it was feeling that, well, I'm not really deep into this yet. I'm not sure I, A, I don't need support. And two, what are my stories going to be compared to these other people? Am I just going to feel like, oh, well, I got it pretty good. And maybe, maybe they're not, maybe my stories aren't worthy of being shared in this forum. And now I think I just need to talk to people who kind of know what's <laughs> what's yeah. going on, right? And what this is, and what this is like, because it is more complicated and nuanced and than expected. Yeah, I was listening to Clear and Vivid, which is Alan Aldo's podcast, and he just interviewed Michael J. Fox, and they were talking about the experiences that they've had with Parkinson's because they both have Parkinson's. Michael J. for a lot longer than. Kyle and Alda, and they were talking about their wives. And the thing that they love about their wives is the same thing that I love about you, is you're one of the only people in the world that will speak directly to me and honestly to me and, like, stand up straight. You're, you're doing this or, hey, have you exercised yet? Like, you're keeping me on task. And so I really appreciate that about you. And I think that the experience that you're having, even this early on in this process, is something that a lot of people who are caring for people with Parkinson's are going through and they, they're just trying to find their way. I don't have a good reason as to why I haven't sought one out yet other than self-care is um, something that I'm fitting in at this point. Taking a hike or getting a massage, having a cave, what I call a cave day if I need one. Those are, are things that I'm practically fitting in at this point sort of so taking time away from family and away from the folks who rely upon me to go and do a support group is I don't have a ton of time for that right now um that's the practical reason why I haven't done it um and so hopefully I can try to find a support group that's available somewhere in Tuesdays and Thursdays between the hours, <laughs> right? Right. Um, I, want, um, I want you to take care of yourself, though. I know, and I want to take care of myself. I'm glad, I th- I'm glad that I took time to come to this realization of what, or more clarity of what I need, or at least what I need right now. It's, it's finding what you, it's, it's taking that step to actually do it. That's the... It can be a challenge. Yeah. Okay. Love you. Love you too. 
If you think that you're ready to join a support group, there are many resources online. In Canada, search support group on Parkinson CA. Email them at info at parkinson.ca or you can call 1-800-565-3000. In the U.S., parkinson.org or call 1-800-4PD-INFO. That's one 800 473-4636. That helpline is staffed by nurses and social workers and therapists who can refer you to support resources in your area. And in the UK, parkinsons.org.uk or call 0808-800-0303. There are 365 Parkinson's UK local organizations and groups for people with Parkinson's, family members, and care partners. Next time on When Life Gives You Parkinson's. So uh, we've arrived at the uh, Parkinson's Wellness Center where I'm going to try boxing for the first time. <laughs> this should be interesting. So hands up. Jab. Good. Cross. Jab. I don't know. It just uh, feels feels good. Although, you know, my right hand, like, look, you can see it's shaky right now. I've been doing this for about a year and a half. Okay. Oh, this has saved my life. Really? I'm not really CrossFit shape. That's okay. Is that okay? Am I going to survive? Or we am I will crazy? start with where you're at. Okay. I'm intimidated by the ropes on the wall. Yep. We're not using the ropes okay, on the wall right now. Yeah. I don't know what it would be like without CrossFit having my diagnosis. Uh, I noticed that, you know, your gait was something that was challenging you. One, and two. One, two. Can you hear that? Yeah. Two. So Often people's one, function two, improves drastically. One, it just two, takes a little bit of poking and prodding to get those things working. You actually flick my feet. I flick your feet, yes. The diagnosis is heavy. It, it sort of weighs you down. Yeah. And it sort of wraps you in a cocoon and you feel smaller and smaller and smaller. And you're, there, there's this... There's part of you that's just like, well, this is my life, and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. And then what you've shown me is that there is something you can do. Thanks for listening. If you're a new listener, please go back to episode one and listen from the very beginning. Also, please take a moment to subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. While you're there, give the show a rating and feel free to comment. You can also engage with us on social media. It's at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or email us at parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. We also want to take a moment to thank our podcast partner, Parkinson Canada. Find them online at parkinson.ca. Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.